Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. If I don't win one audition or I don't get the outcome, the specific outcome that I wanted, then I need to realize that particular audition does not make or break my life. There are a million out there. There are a million ways to be a musician. So when you go into a situation, it's very important to remember that there is not one outcome which is going to change your life for the better. There are many outcomes. And if you don't get that particular outcome, another outcome which might never have presented itself if you had not, quote, failed that particular situation another outcome which may sidle up to you may be something which is so perfect for your future in ways that you can't even comprehend. And that's what I mean by saying that one should not be dependent on one outcome because something else can come which may be incredibly magical, which you never even dreamed could be a possibility for you. It's, it's a kind of magic. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Gilda, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much for inviting me, Srini. Great to be yeah. here. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I was really drawn to your story because I found out that you're a Juilliard trained musician who has taken your knowledge and applied it to performance in other fields. And as somebody who spent nine years playing the tuba uh, and wanted to apply to Juilliard, but parents talked him out of it, um, I am always just absolutely intrigued by the process that musicians follow for their creativity. But before we get into all of that, I wanted to start by asking you, what did your parents do for work and how did that end up shaping and influencing the choices that you made with your life and career? Well, my mother was a musician, so of course that really did influence me since she started me off really early on the piano. And my father was a physician, but he had great musical interests as well, which were probably kept um, as interest was probably a good thing since his interest was great, but not his talent. So that's okay. He had the enthusiasm. So that really did affect me growing up. Yeah. 
Now, were your parents actively encouraging you to actually go and pursue music as a career, particularly your mother? Because my parents, despite whatever talent I demonstrated, were pretty clear on the fact that they didn't want me to do this. I mean, that's pretty standard for Indian kids. But, uh, you know, also a piano is much more versatile than a tuba. (laughs) True. Very true. And uh, of course, you don't have to carry it around. So that's another good thing. Um, So my parents were really very keen on my doing exactly what I wanted to do. They didn't try to push me into music. They really presented it as a beautiful alternative as far as just learning as something wonderful to add to my life. But nobody said, go into music or don't go into music. It was really left up to me. And I think that's what really helped me to make my own decision about it. So Mm. it was wonderful. Well, you're professionally trained as a, a Juilliard musician of all things, which is probably the highest level of training that any musician could receive. I think the only other person I've heard had here was somebody who went to Curtis, which is, I think, the other music school in the United States that seems to have a, an equal caliber. Um, one thing I've always wondered is why it is so much easier to learn a musical instrument when you're young versus when you get older. Because when I started playing the tuba, I think, you know, it, I took to it very fast. One, because I had an amazing teacher who just literally the day I picked up the instrument said you would make all state band. And that kind of lit a fire under my ass to prove him right. But one thing I noticed is in my adult life, when I've tried to get good, I get frustrated because I can't progress as fast. What is that about? Well, it's really about musculature because like anything else, playing an instrument is in a sense an athletic pursuit. You can't expect to be a professional dancer or any kind of athlete as an adult when you haven't grown your body into that shape, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So anything that you want to do that involves the body really needs to be done at a young age. There are hand positions, there are embouchure, lip positions. uh, There are all sorts of things that have to do with the body and also with the brain because music is a language. And when you are learning a language, we all know that kids pick up languages like sponges mm-hmm. when they're small and how difficult it is for older adults to learn a language. It can be done, of course, but they will never speak as fluently as if they had learned the language when they were very young. So yeah. it's a brain and a muscular thing together. Yeah. Well, I mean, so when I had Dan Coyle here who wrote The Talent Code, I, I very distinctly remember talking to him about this, about music in particular. He said, look, he said, can you become talented at an instrument at any age? Yes. He said, absolutely. He said, but you're definitely going to have advantages when you start, when you're young. He said, he said, can you get good enough to impress the hell out of your friends and family? He said, absolutely. He said, can you get good enough to open for Guns N' Roses at their next concert? Probably not. (laughs) Well, I would agree with him 100%. And I really think the focus really, whether you're a professional or not, needs to be on the joy that you're receiving from the action or the activity. Because if you're doing anything to impress anybody else, you're doomed. It's never going to bring you the inner beauty, the intellectual beauty, the emotional beauty that you're going to receive if you're doing it for the right reasons. And so it really doesn't matter what kind of art form or anything in life. It really doesn't matter. It has to be done for yourself, for the pure joy of learning something new and releasing that creative spirit that you yourself possess. And if somebody else happens to enjoy it, that's great. But that should not be, of course, the primary factor in starting something like that. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you were trained at a time that predates the, the sort of, you know, uh, instant validation social media world that we live in, where I think a lot of people, unfortunately, were driven are, are now driven by this need for an external outcome, which is really sad because to your point, I, I, I realized, I think by the time I was a senior in high school, that for me, I thought this is not about the joy of the music. It's about a love of the spotlight. I actually don't love the music. I love the spotlight more than I love playing. And it took two weeks at a, uh, you know, I, the Idlewild School of Music and the Arts. And I remember coming back and told my dad, all we did was practice all day. He said, <laughs> what did you think becoming a music major was going to mean? That's right. And it's good that you found that you liked the spotlight and you could have it in a different way because although you do practice, you practice in a different way, Srini, with, with everything that you do. But as an instrumentalist or as a gymnast or as a dancer or anybody else, it requires a good five or six hours a day, if not more, to become the kind of professional, if you want to become a professional, that's the kind of work that you need to do. So it really isn't about the spotlight. And if it is, people don't really last. Or if they mm-hmm. do, it's not going to bring them the joy that's going to bring them burnout. Because what really makes a person continue in that kind of a career is the nourishment that your soul receives. And if you can't have that kind of nourishment, you're not going to be able to say anything to your audience to begin with. Because all you're offering them is a burnt out husk with some ego attached. Yeah. It, well, it's funny because I, I recognize that now as a writer where it, funny enough, you talk to most writers who finish writing their books, almost all of them will tell you finishing is the part that sucks. The part that they are really always looking forward to is the part when they're in the middle, because I don't remember who, I think it was Danny Shapiro. She said, you know, what the book represents when you hold it in your hands is the blood, sweat, tears, and joy that went into the process, not the final product. Exactly. And I have to say, just from my own experience and from writing my own first book, that I learned so much from the process of writing. I discovered things that I knew that I didn't know I knew because of that writing. And I would not have discovered that if I had not sat down with the blood, sweat and tears and really dug deeply into myself to find out more about what I was speaking about and what I hoped to write about. And yes, the final, the final version, it was nice, but it was done in a sense. And that wasn't as interesting as the journey. They talk about that all the time, that, you know, the, it's, it's the journey, not the destination. And while that sounds very trite, it's also completely true because the true joy is the journey. It can be the performance, which lasts a short time, whatever it is, but it really is the journey. And I've understood that much more, funnily enough, in a, in a pursuit which was not my main professional platform, mm-hmm. meaning writing, than the actual music which was. I, I want to come back to that because I think that that's fascinating that it was in another pursuit that you truly understood that. But there's something I've always wondered about, and this is something I found as a commonality between writers who seem to have very poetic voices. Almost all of them were trained as musicians. Uh, my friend Amber Ray, uh, you know, Danny Shapiro, who I mentioned, all of them were piano players. And I remember Danny telling me that people who are musicians tend to have this sort of lyric gift. And to me, I realized writers who were former musicians tend to make music with words. And I I wonder how your training as a musician influences the way that you think about writing. Absolutely right. It influences it a tremendous amount because when you write, you have to think about cadence. You have to think about rhythm. 
you have to think about how it's affecting someone else's thought processes. You think about how beautiful you can how beautifully you can express something with nuance. It's the same as a musical phrase, yeah. a verbal phrase. So there are many things in my mind, speaking for myself, that go into writing that are completely analogous to music. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Hmm. Well, 
let's talk about your early training, particularly uh, school. You know, to me, I think the the place where I really, honestly, got the greatest gifts from music was from my, uh, you know, seventh grade and ninth grade band directors who took me under their wing, and they honestly taught me everything that I know today about how to practice, how to get better at something, and those skills came full circle. 20 plus years later. And simultaneously, we're in an era where quote unquote, unnecessary arts programs are being removed from schools, which is really in my mind, a tragedy. I I mean, I think I was really fortunate to grow up in Texas where music education was mandatory and uh, at least for a certain period. And I honestly think that was one of the greatest gifts I was ever given in school. Uh, If I honestly, I would say of all the things I learned from kindergarten through 12th grade, that period in which music was mandatory was the most formative. And as somebody who's been trained professionally at a place like Juilliard, what do you make of that? Like, what do you think we need to be doing as far as arts education in our education system? Well, I think we need, first of all, you're absolutely right in everything you're saying. And if we look back towards the Greeks, uh, that would give you a good indication of how important the arts were and how important they are, not only in terms of the art itself, but in the way that it makes a person think and feel and relate to others. The sciences are wonderful, and no one's going to argue about that, and technology and everything else. But if we lose our humanity and our way of relating to others, which we have in a certain, to a certain extent by social media, then if we lose the capacity to create art within ourselves and for, for, and for others, we have lost a great deal of who we are. So it's not just this nice little add-on that we give to uh, grade school and high school. It's fundamental in creating neural connections in our brain to our mind. It's very important creating dexterity with small motor uh, motions that we use with our hands, whether it's sculpture or painting, or simply picking up a pencil to write, if anybody does that anymore, rather than just typing out on computer. There are many things which have to do with our bodies and our minds, which are foundations for our way of thinking creatively, which is, by the way, what business wants these days and what they're coming back to is that if you don't have the capacity to think creatively, you don't have the capacity to add anything to that business, which is going to increase their bottom line, which is what they think about very much, of course. So creativity in itself, it is not just the art form. It's a complete way of thinking and living and being. And if we're not taught how to do that, then we are in big trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and sadly, the thing is that that is being stripped away from our education system. I think people like you, people like Dan Pink make a strong case for this. I think we have the research for it. But despite that, how do you deal with that from a policy level? Because you still have sort of a very you know, rigid social narrative that, okay, this is nice. It's just a hobby, but it's not going to get you paid. I mean, I think that that was for so long the default narrative in education. Well, it is still the default narrative, and I think it is even more strong today. And you see that when kids go off to college, they're not going off for the most part to learn. They're going off to find a degree which is going to pay them as much money as possible so that they can pay off their student loans. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a really, really sad thing. It's not the same as it was when I went to school or when my parents went to school, where you were actually um, brought up to expand your horizons, expand your way of thinking. 
So in terms of changing the policy, unfortunately, our education has led us to such a place where people who are in power right now and who are products of that education do not see the arts as something important at all. So it's really important to connect the arts to other facets of life, to business, to philosophy, to politics. When people see that there are connections between the arts and everything else, and it's not just a question of staying in your uh, garage studio and painting something on Saturdays, they will understand how important, or hopefully they will understand, how important the arts are to our world and how we need to progress in business, in politics, and everything else with the arts, not with the arts just being something that's, um, you know, a, a little class you take care of there to, to make yourself happy and express yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, so there are two questions that come from this. So, and you know, as I told you, my dad was pretty clear on the fact that he didn't want me to go to the USC school of music. And I think he was smart to talk me out of it uh, because as we pointed out, tubas are not versatile. And as I joke, you basically are going to be looking at obituaries instead of job boards because there's only one in every orchestra. So you're literally waiting for people to die for a job to open up. But there's something you say at the beginning of the book where you say, in these pages, we will discover how to step off the false emotional roads, which take us away from our most wished for destinations. And I was wondering, did you know at an early age that this is what you wanted to do with your life, that this was your most wished for, wished for destination? And what puts us on these false emotional roads and how do we get back to, to the right path? Well, to the answer to your first question, no, I did not know. Like every other young person, I saw things around me, but I certainly did not know what I was going to do. I had a, a large number of other interests, but it was really the emotional aspects of music, which captured me and the possibilities um, and what I heard in my own family. But as far as the false emotional roads, I think what is important is that people have the capacity to listen to themselves rather than to outside voices. Now, it is true that you're not going to become a millionaire unless you have the right backing if you're going to go into the arts, because it's extremely competitive And I think that your parents were very right in telling you not to pursue a professional career with the tuba. Now, if you had perhaps chosen a different instrument, it might have been different as a violin or something else, which is more required in terms of numbers. But we very often listen very much to what society has to say about how we should be living our lives and what is appropriate and what is not. And it is very difficult to fight against those voices because those voices clamor from every side of you, from your family, from society, from your friends, from what is deemed correct, what is deemed acceptable. And in this world, the more money you have is what is acceptable and not how what you do to uh, make it is not always acceptable. Mm-hmm. So it is really difficult not to take those false emotional roads and to be able to listen to the voice which says, how do I want to live my life? Maybe I won't make umpty ump dollars. Maybe I will make this amount, but maybe I'll be really happy making that amount if my um, measurement of success is different than someone else's. If 
my definitions of success are different than someone else's, then I'm not playing their game. I'm playing my own game and I'm winning because I'm living the life that I want to live. Yeah. Uh, to your point, that's incredibly hard to do when you're inundated with inputs and you know sources of media that give you definitions of success and some standard to live up to that somebody else has set. Exactly. Exactly. So it does take a certain amount of maturity or a certain amount of stubbornness to live your own life. And as a challenge, I would say, how many people do you know that are really living the life that they truly desire? And we're not talking about those who are just desiring money because maybe they are living the life that they want with a tremendous amount of money. But if you really dig deeply and privately with people and ask them what they wanted to do, you very often get very completely different answers than what they're actually doing with their lives. And you often detect a bit of sadness or a, I wish I could have, I wanted to, but um, this was not something my, for example, my parents wanted me to do or society wanted me to do or my culture wanted me to do, but this was my interest. And it goes on like that. Yeah. And it takes really a strength to, as you said, to fight against that. So it's, uh, it's something we all have to make a decision about, and it's yeah. not easy. Well, one of the things you say early on in the book is no matter our background or profession, the desire or need to express oneself creatively should be of great importance in our own eyes. And we must realize that our decision to do so is far more important than any worldly judgments, negative or positive, which may occur or be expressed as a result of our actions and creations. And later in the book, you talk about the fact that we have been conditioned or been born to create since the time we're in kindergarten. And this is an observation I've made before. And I, I very distinctly remember where I made this observation. I was walking through Barnes and Noble where they have those books for kids that are for parents who are homeschooling, whatever. And I noticed if you go from kindergarten to 12th grade, the curriculum gets more and more rigid and less and less creative. So how do people recognize the importance of this? Because I, you know, there's this uh, really great rip curl campaign for surfing where the professional uh, surfer, Todd Burroughs says, you know, I surf because I'd go insane if I didn't. And I think I feel the same way about writing. Well, I think that you really kind of covered it there in the sense that when you feel that something's being suppressed and it's not always obvious when you feel that something's missing in your life, it's usually not because you don't have something coming to you from the outside. If something is missing from your life, it's usually because you haven't been able to express some part of you that needs to be expressed. So it's really, a, you're missing a part of yourself is what I yeah. think. And you're right that from a young age to 12th grade, kids yeah. are allowed and young people are allowed to dabble in the world, to dabble in the world of possibilities. But as an adult, whenever that occurs, when you're 20s, you are told, well, now you have to get serious, as if being creative is not being serious. And you must find something which is going to put you on the track for life. But what if there isn't one track? What if there are ways of living and being which constantly change like a kaleidoscope? What if our lives are more like a kaleidoscope than one strict line that leads somewhere? And I think we've forgotten 
that life is to be dabbled in. And of course, yes, we have to make a living. Yes, we have to pay the bills. But no, we don't need to cut ourselves off from ourselves in order to do that. And that is what I think society says, that we need to be very strict and follow one path, make a lot of money, put it in 401ks and I and IRAs, and then be prepared for our old age and death. Well, frankly, <laughs> you know, that doesn't sound very um, appealing to me as a way to live. Well, and, I think that's waiting to die more than it is living. Exactly. So when it comes down to it, when you reach a certain age, you're not going to be thinking, as they say all the time, about how much money you saved or even how much, um, you know, the great big house that you had or whatever it is, you're going to be thinking at the last moments. How did I live, live my life? What did I do? What did I find? What did I discover? What did I try? What did I like? What did I not like? Maybe not all those things at once, but that's what life is. Life is a buffet. And if you don't start eating someplace and deciding what you like and don't like, it's, um, it's kind of a waste. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah. Well, you know, earlier you said that writing really kind of taught you about the joy of the process. And one of the things you say in the book is most people going into a stressful situation, imagine one specific result that they must have as the key to getting what they want. However, when you stop basing your ideas of success on one specific result, you start to encounter success through other previously unseen possibilities. And it's kind of funny because I learned this lesson as a writer and I self-published a book that became wildly successful. And when it became successful, I forgot the lesson. Uh, <laughs> and I found myself getting attached when I did my traditionally published books, which weren't anywhere as nearly as successful. Why do you think it is that something outside your primary domain was what taught you to find joy in the process more than your primary domain? And how do people actually find the joy in the process because you know there's also the reality as you pointed out of bills to pay and uh, you know, like if you want to get paid for your work it has to be good yes that is true anything that you do it, it has to be of a certain level if you're going to be paid i think in answer to your question first of all in my profession i didn't discover the answer because in my profession you have to take constant auditions if you don't pass or win an audition, you don't get the job or whatever it is that you're auditioning for. So in my writing, there was not the same pressure. I was writing for myself. I was theoretically writing for an audience, but mostly I was writing for myself with an eye towards expressing something to my audience. In that expression was no pressure. They either liked it or they didn't like it and it goes out into the world. But my joy in the writing of it it was my decision and no one was going to stop me from doing it. And no one was going to stop me from getting ahead with it. And if it succeeded, great. And if it didn't, it didn't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't change anything in my life because it didn't, couldn't possibly, let me put it this way. The success or not of the book cannot touch the joy that I had in the journey of writing it. So it was a complete success to me before it ever went out into the world. And that's something that no one can take away from you. No, so no. that's a completely different thing than taking an audition where there is an external panel who is deciding your future. Completely mm -hmm. different scenario. Yeah. So well, yeah, I, I've, I've been through the audition process you're speaking of where, you know, you have judges behind curtains to prevent biases. Uh, you know, you're just a number in the grand scheme of things. And I, I think that that makes a, a perfect segue to performance because to this day, I always jokingly say that, you know, my, my sort of sliding door events of life is missing all state banned by one chair as a freshman in Texas. And <laughs> I, and I can tell you about this in detail because I think it makes a perfect segue to actually talking about what you call the performer mindset. I 
nailed the first two pieces because as you know you don't play an entire piece they just pick an excerpt and say play this excerpt and then of course they take a break and i remember coming back into the room and my mouthpiece had gone cold and i cracked the first note and i knew right then and there i was like i'm gonna miss it by one chair which was literally the one outcome i told my friend i was like as a freshman it was so unlikely i'd get this far anyways that I would be fine with any outcome except this one outcome. And that was the outcome I ended up with. But uh, what I'm actually curious about is, is what goes into what you call this performer's mindset from a daily habits uh, perspective, from a long-term success perspective, and, and, and how do you take that and apply it to other fields? It's incredibly important. And what I keep learning myself is that, when you do something, whatever it is, and you want to do it to the best of your capacity, and it doesn't matter whether it's a performer, we are all performers in any field that we are uh, engaged within, whether it's business or science or a public speaker or a performer, whatever. So we need to be doing what we're doing because we enjoy doing it. That's number one, because if you're doing something for somebody else, It's not going to work and you're going to hit a wall at some point because when you come at something from that perspective, you are dependent on outside judgment of yourself. When you come to something with a, I wouldn't say a devil may care attitude, but for example, in my profession, if I don't win one audition or I don't get the outcome, the specific outcome that I wanted then I need to realize that particular audition does not make or break my life. There are a million out there. There are a million ways to be a musician, especially these days. It's not the same as when I went to Juilliard. It was much more difficult and um, they were not the opportunities for crossover that there are now, obviously. So when you go into a situation, it's very important to remember that there is not one outcome which is going to change your life for the better. There are many outcomes. And if you don't get that particular outcome, another outcome, which might never have presented itself if you had not, quote, failed that particular situation, another outcome which may sidle up to you may be something which is so perfect for your future in ways that you can't even comprehend. And that's what I mean by saying that one should not be dependent on one outcome because something else can come, which may be incredibly magical, which you never even dreamed could be a possibility for you. And that has happened many times, not only in my life, but in uh, people that I work with clients and students, it just, it's, it's a kind of magic. Well, I mean, you say in the book, when we follow our hearts whisperings, we may end up in entirely different places from where we thought we were headed, only in hindsight, realizing that indeed it was the most direct route to our happiness. And everybody, even the naysayers in some unknown way will benefit from your courage. And I, you know, I couldn't help but laugh thinking about that because when people used to ask me when I, in business school, what I planned to do when I got out, I said, all I know is it'll have nothing to do with the internet. <laughs> Right. And so that's just the way life is. It laughs at you. And not only that, but life says, well, you think you're interested in this or that, but I'm going to lead you to something else, which may be something you've absolutely never thought of. And you may be using the internet, but in a completely different way. So the universe is very creative. The most difficult thing for human beings to do is to, and I make a a play on my own book, 
but really to dance with creation, to dance with your muse. And by that, I mean, you need to give up that you think it's going to be a certain way, because it may not be that way. It may be something completely different or have aspects of what you wanted to do and add on to something else. But you have to be willing to be flexible in your own ideas of creativity and realize that you don't have the answer or one doesn't have the answer to one's own life. And that goes with, you know, going with the flow and the whole Buddhist um, aspect of looking at things. There's a real beauty in sometimes just surrendering to what is and seeing what happens to you. Now, I'm not saying that you should stand on a street corner and wait for food to, to drop from the universe because everything that we do is in partnership. You have to do your work or else the universe will not work with you. Uh, so it's 50-50. It's not just a question of hoping for mana to drop in your lap. Well, I, I so appreciate that you said that because I think there is too much of the sort of, you know, just think positive and the world will be your oyster mindset, particularly in, in personal development, uh, where people are just, you know, Dan, Dan Pink actually said, he said, I think we're over-indexed on positive emotions. And I, and I thought that that was an interesting way of putting it. Not that, you know, he was saying that we need to be excessively negative, but I think to your point, people only look at the possible, but they don't consider the problem and they don't do the work when they're only focused on what's possible. Exactly. I mean, you know, the old statement, God helps those who help themselves. I mean, that says it right there. If you can, you can substitute any word for the, who's ever up there or, or whatever, or whatever power may be. But if you're not willing to put 150% of yourself into your goals, you're never going to get not only the goal, but any other magic, which may come along with it, because um, like attracts like, and all the rest of it, you must, you must play with the variables before they will coalesce into something that you can recognize. That sounds a little esoteric, but it's like playing with, with bricks. You've got to start creating before something comes out of it. Mm -hmm. So you you talked about auditions and outcomes. And one of the things you also say in the book is that people who've rarely experienced rejection in their life do not have the same sense of confidence and self-esteem in the face of adversity as those who have learned through difficulties to cultivate persistence and determination. Uh, And one, I'm curious, in your own life, what have been the most difficult chapters as far as your career goes, where there were moments where you might think maybe this just isn't meant to be? You mean moments when I when I wanted to throw the violin into the uh, trash? <laughs> yeah, I mean, or, you know, for me, it's throw my laptop against the wall, but yes. Right. Well, plenty. I mean, I've had as many failures, if not more, than, than many people. I've probably had as many failures, quote, failures, as success, because the meaning of failure and success, there is no meaning except for what you ascribe to it, because your failure can be a success for somebody else and vice versa. So having gotten used to rejections, failures, this and that, you realize you're still alive. You're still got your goals. You're still going to march towards your goals. And if you have the backbone to keep going, it just makes you that much more stubborn in terms of moving forward to that, which you really desire. Those people who've never quote failed, give up because they don't understand that failure is part of the process. If you don't have failure, you don't have success. And I believe, if maybe it's in the book somewhere, that Thomas Edison said that he had made, I don't know, thousands of failures and ended up patenting most of them. 
Mm. Uh, so it's you if you don't take risks, and by the way, perfectionists don't take risks because they're too afraid of doing anything. They're afraid of starting and they're afraid of finishing because of how people um, might perceive them. If you don't take a risk, you can't get anywhere. If you don't risk failure, you cannot have success. It's an equal equation. And if you by chance get success without having gone through some failure, you won't know how to hold on to it because mm-hmm. success doesn't sit there forever. It's just one step on the stairway. Yeah. Well, I, I'm so glad you said that because this probably might've been my favorite quote in the entire book. It, you said that it's helpful to remember that real success is a lifelong journey. It isn't one particular point along the way where you sit down in a bliss, step, bliss state and never do anything again. And I remember uh, another podcaster, Johnny Dumas would ask people, have you ever had an I've made it moment? And I remember telling him, so John, there's no such thing as an I've made it moment. And the moment you think you've made it, you're done. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I just said to somebody else the other day about something or other that when I've had a big success in my life, I've been happy about it for about five minutes. <laughs> I can relate. It's really true. And then you, then your next thought is, okay, now What's what am I going to do? Yeah, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. The next, it's the next thing. But getting to that five minutes of success was really my life's work. And that was where I was living. It wasn't for the five minutes I was living. It was for the years or the months or the weeks or whatever. Before that, that's where the living was being done, not in the five minutes of success. In fact, it was sort of a, I wouldn't say it was a downer, that, that would be silly, but it was an enjoyment that was kind of not really all that important. It was, what am I going to do now? Yeah. So, what is your average day like as a professional musician in terms of how you practice, how you plan your days you know, to make sure that you are performing at the top of your game or even for talking about preparing for an audition or preparing for a performance? Well, I'll have to qualify that by saying that I am not performing so much now, mm-hmm. specifically because of the preparation that it takes. And I spent a huge portion of my life practicing five to eight hours a day eight when there were really, really, really important things to be done. And there, those five to eight hours a day um, are hours which I now wish to spend doing something else. So, and which I have been doing for the past number of years, working with clients and others in terms of helping them get beyond their fears, uh, whether it's creativity or business or um, other aspects. So I have changed my focus But if you want to be a professional musician, of course, or a professional anything, you're going to have to put in the hours to do it. And those hours, again, I repeat, are not for others. They are to make yourself as much of a well-oiled machine in, in terms of coming back to the beginning of your musculature or your embouchure, and also making sure that you're always growing internally. Because if you're just a musician or a dancer or any other kind of athlete who is wonderful at doing the thing but has nothing to say, speaking from the musical point of view, if you have nothing to say as an artist, then no one's going to want to listen to you no matter how well you play. So being an artist requires that you become, that you are continually growing in all aspects of yourself, emotionally that you are a part of this world and that you are continually keeping up 
with what is going on in the world, that you are keeping up with what is going on in other art forms. In other words, you're living of the world and in it. You're not in a little tower someplace just doing your eight hours of practice. Mm -hmm. You have to be continually growing. And if you're not growing and you're not learning, you're not doing anything well that you're trying to do, no matter how many hours you put into it. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that you say is when you allow yourself to express as many creative avenues as you need, you bring forth interconnected dimensions of yourself, leading to interesting paths for you and the people surrounding you. And it reminds me of something Robert Greene told me when we were talking about his book, Mastery. He said, the analogy is biodiversity. So the more species you have in an ecosystem, the richer that ecosystem is. And that has largely been my approach to how I choose podcast guests, which is why you end up with bank robbers, drug dealers, porn stars, and people like you on the same podcast. Uh, but I, I also realized that the we tend to let ourselves get defined by one art form too often. And people would, would say, you know, are you always going to be a podcast host? I said, God, I certainly hope that that's not all I'm ever defined by. It might be my primary art form, but you know, there are other things that I do. And a lot of those things I do, I end up learning, you know, uh, things from those pursuits that I can then apply to this. So, you know, I made a documentary film just for fun. I have, you know, I don't think I have any plans to make documentary films for a living, but I sure as hell learned a lot from it. Exactly. And that's that you dabbled in that because you were interested in doing it. And that's what we all should do. And by the way, I think anybody who just stays in their own little narrow circle of just musicians or just dancers or just lawyers or just anything are going to be not only boring themselves, but be bored by others. You have to have a palette in your life of different personalities, different people, different points of view, because human beings are just colors on a, on a tremendous canvas. And if we don't start painting and spending time with those different colors and with those different points of view, first of all, we're not going to learn anything. Second of all, we're going to be very boring ourselves. I certainly don't want to stick around with people who think just the way I do. Why would I? I know what I think. So why should I listen to anyone else <laughs> who thinks the way I do? I mean, it's just like talking to a tape recorder. Um, so, but speaking with somebody who, who would make me just furious because of their point of view is much more interesting. And that's why you do the podcast because of exactly that, or one of the reasons maybe that in finding different people and somebody who may hate my profession, that's great because then I'll be able to find out what makes them tick. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, it's just really, really important to spend your life with other people. And once in a while, you know, you can stay with your own herd, but it's really interesting to meet some different animals. Yeah. Well, early in the book, you talk about probably the primary thing that holds so many back, which is fear. And you say there isn't a person alive who hasn't experienced the effects of fear at some moment when it comes to personal choices or expectations for others. However, fear is just an emotion translated into bodily feelings. So how do we work with that so that it doesn't diminish our capability to perform at our best? Well, one of the ways that I've found among others is through a system of techniques called HeartMath. And HeartMath, the HeartMath Institute is located in Boulder Creek, California, and it's been on the cutting edge of stress management for over 30 years. And the way that I actually found out about it to begin with was many, many years ago in the 19, early 1980s, 
because my brother, who is a bioengineer, developed algorithms that that are used in some of its biofeedback. And at the time, I didn't pay so much attention to it because I was thinking conservatory and auditions and practicing and everything else. However, later on, when I was noticing that my colleagues were drinking a lot of wine before concerts or uh, ingesting this or that um, pill in order to combat nerves, it occurred to me that there must be some better ways to deal with stress. And so I began that circle back to heart math and became a heart math trainer. And it is really a system of techniques which allows when you learn them, the heart to transmit information to the brain so that the brain can understand specifically the amygdala, the primitive part of our brain, of our brain that, resp- that responds to stress, so that the brain can help the amygdala and other parts to not go through the same neural loops and to produce the same chemicals that we experience when we are frightened. That was the long way of answering your question. Um, so there are techniques, and I'm not saying that's the only one. Of course, there are many techniques. But the wonderful thing about heart math is that you can use it in the moment. So before my auditions and using it as an everyday uh, technique, it would literally retrain my body physiologically to respond in a different manner when I would get nervous or under stress. And I didn't have to go into the same patterns, which is what we all do, of the shaky, ha- the shaky hands, which really affects you when you're holding a bow on a violin, or adrenaline, or uh, the pit of your stomach, or any of the other reactions that people get. You can train yourself to change your reactions to stress over time so that when you get into a situation, you don't have to have the same reactions. Now, that was my way, and it also helps uh, other people to change their thinking. So it's a question of mindset, which is what I deal with now for the most part. Yeah. What do you find are the most common fears that people have in performance situations? What will people think of me? Will I be fired? <laughs> um, this presentation, oh my God, I look this, I, I just can't stand up in front of people and speak. Um, my gender, my age, my sex, whatever. Uh, they're going to think I'm crazy. They're going to think I'm stupid. I'm not. I mean, it goes on like that. People are afraid basically of being kicked out of the tribe, whatever that tribe is, whether it's your business, whether it's your, uh, your artistic profession, people are afraid that they're going to be left out in the desert somewhere without any water and never be let back into civilization again. I mean, it comes down to a primitive fear. Otherwise, why would we get all those emotions? Now, people don't think that consciously, of course. They just think maybe they're not going to get this, this uh, promotion or they're not going to get um, a raise or something like that, or their, their manager is going to see through them for whatever reason. I don't know. But uh, it's basically a terrible fear of not being part of something or not being uh, allowed to live in the way that they want to live. It really comes down to very primitive fears. Well, I have two final questions for you. Uh, 
one of the things you say later in the book is success, most importantly, is not necessarily acquiring possessions, having money, fortune, power, or fluttering off to another country. It can be those things, but only if they are the tools which allow a furtherance of a vision. This creates happiness we all seek for without vision, hopes, and goals to inspire us. We stagnate like growling ogres forever ferociously guarding our small hordes of gold, but doing nothing with them. Society has rather rigid definitions of success, but success in any measure is that which makes our hearts sing. And I wonder for you how that definition of what makes your heart sing has changed with age and time. That's a great question. Do we have another hour? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that as you grow older, of course, one of the great things, and there are many great things, is that you realize what is more important. And you don't realize that in your 20s. And you really may not realize it in your 30s. And in your 40s, you get an inkling. And then you say to yourself, well, I better get going here because, you know, I'm not in my 20s anymore. Um, What has really changed for me is realizing that I don't give a blankety blank what anybody says about me or what they think about me. And let me tell you, that is a wonderful place to be. <laughs> I'm laughing because I, I reminds me of George Carlin's uh, comedy sketch where he says, you know, like the greatest thing about getting old is that you just don't give a shit. You can basically say whatever you want, do whatever you want. Nobody can say anything because you can just blame it on being old and senile. Right. Or you just don't care what they say. I mean, you don't have to be old and senile not to just not to give a damn what somebody thinks about anymore because you are enjoying your life. And um, it really lets you, you're right, it really lets you say what you want. And if somebody doesn't agree with you, it's not a big deal. You don't have to convince every person on this earth to agree with you. And so that freedom is a really, really wonderful thing. It allows me to think about how I'm going to live the rest of my life. Maybe I'm going to move to another country. I mean, it's a possibility. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm going to do this. Maybe I'm going to do that. So there are a lot of things that uh, will change or can change in my future that I would have said, oh, my God, I can't do that. What if they think this? What if what, 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 what? Who cares? My life is for me. And that's the biggest thing which has changed with age. And it's fabulous. That's all I can say. It's fabulous. Beautiful. Well, I have one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think it really has something to do with what we've been talking about. It's the courage to be their own selves with all their horrible little parts. We're not all just wandering around in, as we said before, in bliss, being wonderful persons expressing our best selves and, and, and being wonderful expressions of the seed that came into the world. Sometimes we're just little pieces of shit. And you know what? That's okay, too. Wow. I love it. Beautiful. Well, um, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story, your wisdom and insights with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, your book, your work, and everything else that you're up to? Well, thank you, Serena. I think they can find me in two places. They can find me on performermindset.com or on LinkedIn. But you, there's really more they can know about me from performermindset.com. So that's, it's just been such a pleasure to talk about all these things with you. And I just wish for everybody 
that the greatest thing in life they can discover is that the capacity to be oneself is the most wonderful way to live life. Mm, what a perfect way to wrap our conversation. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.